May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our first reading today from the letter to the Philippians is, Brothers and sisters, siblings, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking of one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vain glory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves each looking out not only for your own interest, but that of those of others, have in you the same attitude that is also in Christ Jesus. And from our gospel reading, we hear Jesus continuing, what do you think? There was a landowner with two children. The landowner approached the elder and said, my child, go out and work in the vineyard today. The first child replied, no. I won't, but afterwards regretted it and went. The landowner then came to the second child and said the same thing. Second child said in reply, I'm on my way, but never went. Which of the two did what was wanted? That was great. That was way better than I would have read it. Thank you, Pastor Nora. Will you join me in prayer? O Spirit, enter this place. Be with us as we settle our hearts into your word. And may our meditations and our thoughts and the words from my mouth find a place of acceptance in your sight. O one who is our rock. Amen. This week's uh, gospel comes from a series of three agriculture stories, three agriculture parables in Matthew chapter 20 and 21. And we enjoyed the theology of Broadway last week, and next week we have a guest speaker. So guess what? I'm slamming the three of them together into one sermon. This morning, I'd like the text to reflect on an overarching theme of agriculture in Palestine. And maybe we will pick up some observations and perhaps some applications. The trio of the three Matthew texts begins with number one, the landowner going out to hire laborers. And the landowner is hiring them through multiple time periods throughout the day. The second one that Pastor Nora read was the parable about the landowner asking the offspring to do the work of the vineyard. And the third parable is the one where the landowner plants a vineyard, and when the crop is ready to be harvested, problems ensue. Who is to get the crop? Now, Jesus taught in parables because not only were they pithy, they were visceral. 
people saw exactly what he was talking about, and that created a hook. It was because it was a common visual that they all shared. In addition to this, Jesus always asked the question, what do you think? He's really saying, what do you, listener, think? How do you reflect on this? How do you see yourself in the story? How might you, listener, follower of me, judge the behaviors and the outcome? Right? So we're invited to be participants in this. Now, depending on the translation that you read this in, it does take on a different nuance. But we've used the inclusive language one today, right? And so really, we were talking about parent and probably adult children. I don't think the landowner would have sent small children out to work in the vineyard. First century Palestine was essentially a communal area. Uh, I was. This is not in my text, but I was thinking about this. Right, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't social media, but there was a lot of being in each other's business. <laughs> Did any of you grow up in small towns or rural communities? Yeah, you know how people know what you do. They know if you get a new car, they know if your roof blew off your barn or if there's weeds in your crop. They're sort of communal social pressure. That's exactly what was happening in first century Palestine. And so this one today about what do the adult children do, it has to do with communal perception of who is your family. And in this case, honor in first century Palestine is a highly prized value. Honor, are your family members honorable? So, the same way, shame and vice are really noted. Nothing goes unescaped. So both vice and virtue are obvious to the whole community. So how many of you have traveled to Palestine or Israel? I think there, there are a number of, of uh, folks who've gone to the Holy Land. All right, and because you're a, a liberal congregation with a certain amount of social persuasion, how many of you ever worked at a kibbutz? Mm, I had an opportunity in college to maybe go work at a kibbutz. No one? I thought for sure there'd be somebody who, who went off to work in a kibbutz. Well, the photograph that's up front is one that I keep in my office. It's from 2022. It is near a little town called Sepphoris. I'm going to, how's the mic doing if I turn my head, Jim? Can you hear me? So it's, it's from a little town near Sepphoris. And Sepphoris is walking distance to Nazareth. Sepphoris was a kind of a boom town during that biblical era. And we can expect that Joseph, Jesus' father, probably worked near the region this, this photograph was taken. Because it was a boom town, they needed many carpenters and construction workers. And often these parallels about the rich and the poor are kind of pointing to what's going on in Sepphoris. Because it's at the top of the hill, and they aren't building their homes 
uh, housing in that region is often in caves because there's a lot of stone and it's cheap and you can just dig into the cave and create your home there and when you have a baby you add another cave room and you just keep building on your, onto your home by digging in. But Sepphoris is on this town, uh, on this hillside and it's going to be glamorous. It's going to have fancy materials. It's going to have wood, which is a rarity. And this is a sign of wealth. So that's why you get so many of these, the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots in the parables, because people can see it happening around them. And the wealthy, of course, want their wealth to be made known. Now, Joseph worked there, probably. But what do the agricultural ties of today's text have to do with an ancient Palestinian farm? Well, property lines, if you don't have trees to put up fence posts, what you do is you make stacks of rock piles, right? We talk about your quarter section here in our homesteaded state. But even smaller than that, how do we note that this is my farm? We note it by having stacks of rocks at the corner of our properties. And there were land agents who documented who owned what land and who, who paid taxes on what land. But the next thing they did is they planted cactus as boundary lines around their farms. Their farmsteads had cactus. Now, cactus did two things. They would be tough to pull out, right? It's not fun to, to uh, eradicate a cactus plant. And it would also work a little bit as a uh, passive livestock fence because the goats and the calves and the other things that were moving around really didn't like to transport through a cactus, particular cactus row. Um, so that's important to note about how Palestinian farmers laid out their property, how they marked their boundaries. And this photo is about 50% of the size. Why would I bring this up? The year 2023 is the anniversary of Nakba. Nakba is the Arabic word for catastrophe. 1948, the Arab and Israeli war displaced more than half of Palestinian people. We're spending some time talking about immigrants and migration. Pre-1948, Palestine was a multi-ethnic and a multicultural, multi-religious part of the world. And if we're studying how people move, why people move, the displacement, the hurt, the sorrow that happens in those situations. This is important sometimes that we turn our attention back to our own religious roots and our own religious history and look at where have we been participants in that. If you're not very familiar with Nakba, I would recommend looking at the United Nations website. It has some very basic historical, um, easy to understand description of what happened in 1948. It was forced immigration. But prior to that, of course, was the forced immigration, the persecution, and the Holocaust that was happening in Europe. Right? So that 
was a precursor to 1948. And there's a precursor that, unfortunately, we all are culpable in as well. In the 1890s, Protestants and Christians gathered in Geneva, Switzerland, and in other parts of Europe and started really actively turning up their noses against the Jewish community. And they were looking for a solution to move people out of Northern Europe. So this history goes way, way back, and of course, all the way back, right? Uh, this is one of the, the messiest and bloodiest geopolitical situations in global history. So. Why might we take this simple image of the cactus? Why might we take it and call it a silent witness? Well, I'm looking at, I've got some great earth stewards in the congregation this morning. I'm thinking I was gonna, not sure I would tie this in, but since Dennis is here, right? We have, we have these kind of pernicious um, foxtail seeds out on the boulevard. And if you leave foxtail seeds in the soil, you will have weeds for at least seven years. <laughs> There's an, almost no easy way to get rid of them, is there? And we have other um, invasives in our backyard. This one is not, the cactus is not an invasive, it's an indigenous species. But the thing about it, its resiliency and why it is a witness is because when you knock them over, when you burn them, when you bulldoze them, there are going to be seeds drop, and there are going to be roots that are underground. And guess what? They'll come back next year, year after year after year. So even though people have been displaced from that part of Palestine for 75 years, the cactus still grow. And they're called the silent witnesses standing there reminding modern travelers, modern settlers, modern people who would like to live in that region, that at one time there was a vibrant agricultural community there. There were people who had homes and farms and vineyards and olive groves and great beauty. So today is World Communion Sunday. It's such a good Sunday to remember that we participate in a global faith. Yes, we are St. Luke's. Yes, we are Presbyterian. Yes, we are people of a variety of styles of Christianity. But at the end of the day, we are part of one church. We are part of one celebration, the body of Christ. Now. That's what we'll do in a few minutes, is, is celebrate that in a global way. I want to uh, lift up another kind of silent witness. The Social Justice Collaborative team has chosen um, the indigenous women and missing, oh, I had it written down here, the whole acronym, it, because I was also gonna say it's a segue to another sermon, and there will be somebody who is better able to preach about this than me. But the, uh, I'll put my glasses on here. They have chosen the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Relative Project as our Change for Change uh, missional giving for the month of October. 
I point that out because there's a connection here. This is silent witness for Palestinians. The silent women in that indigenous women's movement and relative movement is the bloodied red hand. You'll see it on their graphic. It looks like that. It's a horrific graphic, but it's a graphic that demonstrates the silent witness that's happening there. On this Global and World Communion Sunday, I want to also point out what's happening with Presbyterian Disaster Assistance Programs as they encourage members to give, act, and pray. The motto is, out of chaos, hope. Skip, a few weeks ago, stood up and asked us to remember what's happening in the wildfire areas of Hawaii. Presbyterian Disaster Assistance is there. What's happening in Cuba and along the coast of the United States where Idalia and the tornadoes and the tropical storms have happened? Presbyterian Disaster Assistance is there. If you've been horrified by the flooding in Pakistan and Libya, Presbyterian Disaster Assistance is there. And there's so many more projects. I think we can feel good about being part of a faith community that says we see, we know, we hear, we participate. And we do want to be agents of positive change. So by closing, I'd like to remind the congregation that on Monday, a delegation of women from St. Luke head out to Pine Ridge. And they will be seeing old friends, making new friends, renewing acquaintances. And so we pray that your connection will be rich, will be deep, will be life-giving. Carry our love, and we invite you to carry back a message to us. We will pray for your journey mercies, and we will look forward to hearing about your experiences when you return. And we say, thanks be to God. Amen. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.